Rose was once an outgoing, happy kid who loved playing with friends, but her behavior changed when she switched schools in fifth grade. Rose became anxious. She hid in the girls' bathroom at school, afraid to talk to kids she didn't know. Headaches and stomach aches frequently landed her in the school nurse's office, followed by a call home for mom to come get her. Then Rose refused to go to school altogether. It's challenging as a parent, even one who knows, who's an expert in the field of like, how do you talk to your child about doing things, which is really about facing your fears. And she didn't want me to be her therapist. So that's why I wrote the book. I actually went out to get her a book and I was like, hey, there's no books on shyness in adolescence. That makes no sense. So I wrote the book to help both parents and adolescents understand what is going on and what they need to do in order to overcome the fear. That's Rose's mother, Jennifer Shannon, co-founder of the Santa Rosa Center for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy in Santa Rosa, California. She's also author of the Shyness and Social Anxiety Workbook for Teens and the Anxiety Survival Guide for Teens. Shannon says to understand social anxiety, it's helpful to know a little bit about anxiety in general. All anxiety is related to survival. So we need to be able to perceive threats so that we can stay safe and stay alive. The real distinction between having anxiety, because we all have anxiety, and having an anxiety disorder is how much the anxiety is interfering with the person's functioning. Social anxiety disorder, also known as social phobia, is not the same as shyness. Shy people may be slow to warm up at a party, but eventually they'll start talking to other guests. Shannon says people with social anxiety disorder will avoid the party altogether. If you're not leaving the house, then that's an extreme form of social anxiety where just the thought of maybe going out or being observed by others. Walking down a street can cause people with social anxiety a lot of anxiety because they're imagining that people are looking at them and judging them in some way. More commonly, it would be things where it would interfere with functioning, like you don't participate in classroom discussions, and that can affect academics. It can definitely interfere like with dating relationships because you may not start conversations with people you're attracted to. Still, we would consider that a disorder. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, about 15 million Americans, or 13% of the population, suffer from social anxiety disorder. It's the most common form of anxiety and the fourth most common mental illness. It affects men and women equally, and its onset usually occurs during adolescence. But if a child can be outgoing one day and full of anxiety the next, what triggers it? It can be traumatic experiences. So, for example, if you grew up and you were discriminated against or bullied, that can certainly contribute to the development of social anxiety disorder. But genetics probably accounts for between 30 to 40 percent of the incidence of social anxiety. So if you have a first-degree relative with any type of anxiety, you're two to three times more likely to have social anxiety disorder. So huge genetic component to it. Fortunately, social anxiety disorder is completely treatable. Luckily, if you have social anxiety, you don't have to suffer your whole life for it because there is effective treatment. And the most effective therapy is cognitive behavioral therapy. And cognitive behavioral therapy is based on the relationship between thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And in the therapy, what we do is help people to change both the way that they're thinking, so that overestimation of threat, and 
their behavior. In cognitive behavioral therapy, Shannon helps her patients move towards the things they're afraid of by engaging in what she calls target practice. It's where her patients figuratively practice hitting just the target, not the bullseye in social situations. When I have people facing their fears, I really have them set a realistic goal for themselves because people who have social anxiety have an underlying belief, and this leads to those obsessive thoughts, that they need to be socially perfect. That means that there should be no awkward silences, that they should show no signs of anxiety, never trip over their words, never forget people's names, always sound smart and interesting. And I call that social perfectionism, and no one can actually meet that standard. So when they're approaching somebody, it's like, smile, say hi, ask a question. And after you do that, say, okay, did I hit the target? Yes, because you actually move towards something. And to pat yourself on the back instead of giving yourself a hard time for not hitting the bullseye. Shannon says parents of overly anxious kids often make one of two mistakes. One is to have no sympathy for the child and just say, what's wrong with you? Just get out and do it. And they really do need some understanding. But the other problem is allowing them to avoid things. So if they're not going to school, sometimes what they'll do is want to do independent study. And no, absolutely not, because that's going to keep them in an avoidance cycle. And you need to break that cycle. So they need to, however you do it, work with the school system to get them back, even if it's partial days, get them back in school and get them interacting with others. If you're a parent, some red flags are obvious, like refusing to go to school or leave the house. But more subtle signs can be things like your child repeatedly turning down invitations to activities they used to enjoy, like going to the mall or the movies with friends. You are looking for a consistent behavior pattern of avoidance. I would say if it's going on for three months, definitely that sounds like more than just a bad day. And how much school are they missing? How many things are they avoiding? If there's a consistent pattern that you definitely want to get them help or ask them more about it. Shannon says left untreated, social anxiety disorder usually gets progressively worse. It affects jobs and relationships and can lead to depression and substance abuse. You can learn how to find a therapist and find out more about Jennifer Shannon and her books by visiting our website at radiohealthjournal.net. Our writer-producer this week is Polly Hansen. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Karen Hand. June is Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month. A new survey from the Alzheimer's Association shows that caregiving can either bring a family together or tear it apart. Relationships between siblings were found to be the most strained, with 43% of caregivers feeling their family undervalued their efforts. Ruth Drew, Director of Family and Information Services for the Alzheimer's Association, says there are steps you can take to diminish some of the family tension surrounding caregiving. It's critical that families discuss caregiving needs and develop a plan that allows everyone to contribute. Our survey shows that lack of communication can fuel family tensions and add further stress to an already stressful situation. We can help families identify care needs and provide resources to help, including long-distance care tips and care coordination tools on our website at ALZ.org. The Alzheimer's Association invites caregivers and family members to call its 24-7 helpline at 800-272-3900 or explore their resources at ALZ.org. That's ALZ.org. Medical Notes This Week. Technology provides great tools for parenting, but the digital age may also carry some unintended consequences for young children. 
A study presented at the Pediatric Academic Societies finds that the more time a baby or toddler spends using a smartphone or tablet, the more likely they are to have a delay in their expressive speech. Expressive speech is a child's ability to convey feelings and information. The study says that for each additional 30 minutes of screen time per day, there is a 49% increased risk of expressive language delay. Childbirth is an exhausting process for a mother, but have you considered that the doctor might also become fatigued? A new study in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology says that the number of hours an obstetrician has been on the clock before an unscheduled delivery significantly increases risks to the mother and baby. Researchers found that by the ninth hour of a doctor's 12-hour shift, the likelihood of adverse outcomes increases by as much as 30%. You might think otherwise, but a new study suggests that the majority of bosses who are abusive to their subordinates do not get pleasure from it. According to a survey in the Academy of Management Journal, leaders who act cruelly don't feel competent, respected, or autonomous and are often unable to relax after work. However, the survey shows that leaders do feel powerful, which makes them more likely to act abusively and ultimately ends up harming their own well-being. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. Millions of people love to travel in the summer, but many worry that a medical condition may put a vacation out of reach. If you receive kidney dialysis, you can travel safely and continue your treatments with some advanced planning. First, you should talk to your dialysis nurse or social worker about a travel plan. Costa Arvanitas, Vice President of Patient Admission Services for Fresenius Kidney Care, has more tips. Start planning for dialysis during your vacation as far in advance as possible so we can help find a center nearest your destination and provide them with your information. Don't forget to bring emergency contacts, phone numbers, and emails for your doctor and social worker and for the dialysis centers you plan to visit during your trip. Presenius Kidney Care offers traveler clinical assistance services to patients that can help make planning for dialysis while on vacation easier, including researching dialysis centers and making appointments. Contact our travel services at 1-866-434-2597 or find out more at FresenniusKidneyCare.com and start your vacation with confidence. Cardiac arrest is a leading cause of death in the U.S. CPR, if performed immediately, can double or triple the odds of survival, and a victim's chance of survival decreases by 7 to 10 percent for every minute that passes without the use of an automated external defibrillator, or AED. New surveys by the American Heart Association show help may not be there when needed. Dr. Michael Kurz of the University of Alabama at Birmingham is an American Heart Association volunteer. Everyone needs to know CPR and AEDs need to be available in every public place, including workplaces. Half of workers and two-thirds of hospitality workers say they can't locate AEDs at work. More than half of workers can't get CPR or AED training from their employer, and nearly a third of safety managers say training only became important to offer after an incident occurred. If you run a business, be sure it has an AED. And if you don't know CPR, find out where you can learn. Visit heart.org slash workforce training. That's heart.org slash workforce training. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.